Welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God, as held by the historic Christian Church, have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a message given by Rev. Matt Ryder at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Matt is the pastor of First Evangelical Methodist Church in Gaston, North Carolina, and he also serves as the secretary of the ACCC. This message was given Thursday morning, October 26, and is titled, The Church's Holy Mandate, Making Christ Known. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19, Psalm chapter 19. Just want to give a word of testimony and encouragement. I do appreciate this church and church family. Um, I was a preacher's kid, a missionary kid, and a PK, or um, a a CK, a camp kid. Um, So I enjoy um, spending time with the children here. I was coached by my wife. I gave some false information Um, My son is 14. My daughter is 11. She'll be 12 um, January 2nd. And my youngest son is 8. And I send greetings from Gaston, North Carolina. Population of somewhere around 725. um, Six churches within the community. Um, Roanoke Rapids is the larger city right across the river. It's a paper mill city, an old cotton mill city. And... It has over 30 churches within its city limits. Uh, A friend of mine was traveling through, and he brought his father through town, and his father said, boy, this is either a very spiritual town or nobody gets along with anybody. Um, And that is sad to say, um, the the testimony of what I um, work with. Um, There's definitely the aspect of religion. There's definitely the aspect of preaching, um, and the gospel is being spread. There is some good works. My children attend a a very good Christian school, and so we are blessed in many ways as far as the gospel. The message or the challenge that was given to me is making Christ known, and the focus of the message is proclaiming the truth of a holy God to sinners and saints. The Christ-given mandate being ignored, forgotten, and or replaced. The Christ-given mandate being ignored, forgotten, and or replaced. In my church family, I've been pastoring for 13 years, and presently we're working through the book of Isaiah. On Sunday night, we're looking at the book of Matthew On Sunday morning and on Wednesdays, we've been working through a study on church history. And we've been taking characters of history and looking at church history from the apostles all the way. And right now we're in the second great awakening. And we're looking just briefly at characters of history and then looking at scripture to play um, or to apply um, to each character. And we come to the second great awakening particularly and... This American Council has been an encouragement to me in many ways, both in fellowship, encouragement. Also, um, Dan has lent his ear often um, encouragement in that aspect and direction. 
And as I was working through the Second Great Awakening, particularly our area is affected. As I said, there's many churches. Um, the Christian denomination, there is six churches within the city limits of Roanoke Rapids in the Christian denomination. Three of them are within um, a block and a half of each other. Um, so it's not first, second, third, but it's very much um, like that as far as denominations. But Barton and Stone and different men that came up during the um, influence of the Second Great Awakening, both in the West, have greatly impacted my area. Barton College um, is an Atlantic Coast um, was a Christian college, and then later you have Campbell University, in which the Campbellites came from. And so there's so many influences of the Second Great Awakening in our area. Timothy Dwight was one character that I was looking at, and particularly because his son, uh, he was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, and there's no question when you look at the First Great Awakening, the focus was on God and who he is. You see the influence of the Second Great Awakening. You see the influence of man, the idea of man and salvation. And Timothy Dwight had a challenge. One of his students, um, Beecher, said that the, the University of Yale when he came, or the College of Yale when he came to presidency, was known for alcoholism and gambling. Um, sad to say, if you thought about most colleges today, it's not different. And this is my point what we see today in our culture and history is something that America has had to deal with for generations. Timothy Dwight came on the scene at a time when the Revolutionary War had just ended. America was trying to find its identity politically. There was a lot of French influence um, and paganism ideas, philosophy ideas coming in. And he challenged his students in debate they were questioning the authority of Scripture. They were questioning the Bible in particular. Many young people that were going to a Christian college of the time did not even believe in the Bible. And so for six months, he preached in chapels on the authority of Scripture. And it changed a college-university atmosphere. I've also got the joy of studying um, Nettleton because of looking at um, Ashiel Nettleton because of looking at these things. And, and so I've been blessed in many ways. But I'm also reminded that we look at our political atmosphere today. We look at our churches today. We look at a sense of religion. We look at our cultures and it's real easy to say they're not doing this. They're not doing this. They're not doing this. But this morning I want to look at where have we ignored, forgotten, or replaced Christ. Even in our churches, in our testimony. So if you turn in your Bibles to Psalms 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. 
sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Dear Lord, we pray that you would challenge our hearts in the aspect of the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts and realizing that we have the authority of God in his word, Lord. And we have a responsibility to proclaim Christ. As we've looked at, Lord, this week, the holiness and the aspect of holiness within our church, the aspect of holiness within our personal life, Lord, we pray that you would convict our hearts, that we would not ignore, we would not forget, and we would not replace your word, Lord. We pray, Lord, for these men who have been given a calling and these women who support their husbands and courage. We pray for this church, Lord, personally, that you would bless it, that you would encourage them in their spiritual growth, Lord. And we pray that you continue to show your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is a important passage to me. There is no question that David and his influence by the Holy Spirit is proclaiming who God is. In the first part of the passage, it is definitely a revelation of who God is in creation. In Romans 1 and verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In Romans 10, verse 17 through 18, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Nature reveals that there is a glorious God and creator. Scripture reveals this God to humanity. God has given his holy inspired word. And we might know him and that we might understand his purpose for our lives and for the world. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning God. And all through the scripture, the point is God and what he is doing. We're reminded this week that our purpose as believers is to give honor and glory to God. That's our purpose. As ministers, our purpose is to give honor and glory to God. How do we give honor and glory to God? By staying in the word. By preaching the word and by proclaiming Christ and John 1 verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace 
and truth. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In this passage in chapter 19, David sings the praise of God's wonderful word. There is a correlation to 19 or 119, definitely as far as the scripture and referring to the law of the Lord. And we see the benefit paralleling back and forth. In verse 7, the law of the Lord converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord make his wise, the simple. The statues of the Lord rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord enlighten the eyes. The fear of the Lord endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's law refers to his teachings or instructions in verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. David states that the law is both perfect and that it converts the soul. Perfect, complete, or entire. God's word is complete. The revela- and it is the complete revelation to humanity. It is sufficient. It is perfect. The inerrancy of Scripture is being reminded. Every word, every statement in the Bible is true. And looking at the Word of God, we see that it converts, meaning to return to. First great benefit of Scripture is that it leads us to turn to God. It leads us to turn to God. Paul explained that broad purpose of God's law in relationship to salvation in Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was, that it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by the angels in the hand of a mediator 
Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, bringing us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So scripture as a role in salvation. In Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and this is an important verse to me personally, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then we see in this passage again in verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure. This is an encouragement. This is a reminder that the word of God gives wisdom. The word of God is a sure foundation. The statutes of the Lord are right. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. As a pastor, do we find joy in the Word of God? Do we have joy in our service? Because of knowing that we have been given the truth. It brings a deep and abiding joy to life. The Lord's statutes or precepts, His detailed instructions concerning the practical matters of everyday life are given. They give us a clear direction for the specific situation and decision. They stir us to avoid the painful, tragic consequence of sin. And they teach us how to please the Lord. They give us insight into God's purpose. And then we come back to verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. God's word is perfect. God's word is flawless. God's word is in undefiled. Then we see another benefit. It stirs us to fear the Lord. In verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, specifically, the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. That is not a suggestion. That is just not just a general guide. That is a command. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of Him, His sovereignty, His power, His holiness, His righteousness have all been emphasized this week. 
and the reminder that it endures forever. God's judgment or laws are true and fair and righteous. In verses 9 through 11, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold, than then much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. There is no question that David desired the word of God. He knew the taste. He appreciated the holiness of God. Now was David perfect? No. If you look at David's family and you would say it was a dysfunctional family. Were there's cause and effect of sin in his personal life? Yes. Choices he made affected generations to come. It is not a new battle. It is not a new situation. Sometimes as pastors we feel like that's the problem of the world. We have the scripture. We have the truth of God's word. But how many times have we lost sight, ignored principles that we have been taught, principles that we have struggled in the word personally, we have forgotten. We have looked at the influence of others. David loved the word of God. He had a desire to know. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. He saw the benefit of the scripture. Who can understand the heirs? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. We see that the word of God is a source of salvation. It gives wisdom in verse 7. We see the bright. It brings true love and joy in life. In verse 8, it enlightens the eyes. It stirs us to fear the Lord. The word of God brings salvation. David understood his depravity. He saw the conviction of the word of God. And it troubled him. It broke his heart. And he says there in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We see that the word of God in 19, we are reminded that we can neglect or ignore the word of God. In Romans chapter 1, another passage assigned in verse 11. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. There's a testimony of Paul here in this passage. He has not been to Rome yet. He has no idea that he is going to go as a, as a prisoner He has a desire to be there. And again, 
Um, for those who are looking at the mission field, I'd rather go willingly than as a prisoner. But um, he got free transportation. Um, and, and again, um, there was an honor guard that carried him to Rome. And there was a lot of benefits. We, we um, look at this situation, and especially his crying out here. Paul understood what it was to minister Paul saw what was going on in Rome and he was praying for the church in Rome. The gospel was going forward in Rome. He realized what was going on there. In verse 8, we're reminded, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. This testimony had gone out of this faithfulness of this church in spite of the corruptness of Rome. It's going out through all the world that God was working in this place. He prayed daily for this place in verse 9. But we come to verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. When I was given this assignment, I'm excited about preaching the word of God. I, please understand that. But some time ago, when I was a child, one of the um, former presidents of the American Council was, I was supposed to give him a tour of a campground. I might have been 10 years old. And so I, in my excitement and, and humor are, are of life in the back there, I know very well, great host, trying to expound on everything that was going on in the camp. And I said something to the effect of all my life. <laughs> and that particular person who is not here was very gracious. And he smiled at me, and please, he didn't say, bless your heart or anything like that. But he smiled at me and said, all your life, like that. <laughs> just the past week, my eight-year-old son, uh, we had just acquired, a, out of God's blessing, acquired a minivan. It was the first time I got to drive it. My wife had been the one who had picked it up and took care of that. And I took my son to the grocery store real quick, and um, he's telling me all the features of the car. And on the way home, just five minutes in the store on the way home, he starts telling me about the yellow lines and how double lines mean this and single lines mean this. And, and again, when I come to minister here, I feel like a child sometimes trying to preach or teach or encourage to somebody that's life experience of a little child saying, all my life. That's not what Paul is addressing here, though. When he is encouraging this church, he is encouraging them in the gospel. He is thanking the church for their testimony. He is encouraged by the testimony in verse 8. He has prayed for the church in verse 9. In verse 11, For I long to see that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. It is not, I'm trying to give you some kind of wisdom that I only have. God has been working here. 
And yes, the truth of Christ does not change. The word of God does not change. But he wanted to be a part of this ministry. He wanted to be a part of this church. He wanted to see the the growth, yes, and he was encouraged by the growth of salvation. But he wanted to see the growth of righteousness. He wanted to see the spiritual growth. He wanted to see the fruits of the Spirit and, and the blessing of this church. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has done. The importance of the gospel was so important to Paul. This, that this is my, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. There was the fellowship of believers that he desired here. He wanted them to move forward as we were challenged yesterday, to move forward in the gospel. Not a different gospel, but the gospel of Christ. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you but, with let, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. His desire was to preach the gospel. He wanted to be involved in this ministry. Now, I don't believe that he realized the circumstances. He didn't realize how God would bring him to that point. But this letter is a letter of salvation. This is a letter of showing the importance of the gospel. But they had heard the gospel. He's reminding them of the gospel. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. He realized the influence of the gospel. The gospel stirred him to thank God for this church. The gospel subjected his spirit, his whole heart to God's son. And verse 9. And the gospel stirred him to pray. The gospel stirred him to speak to the people personally. Challenge their hearts in the truth of God's word. Encourage them in their faith. And again, the gospel. The gospel stirred Paul to seek people personally. He did not leave the ministry and the sharing of the gospel to others. They are already established. They are already doing a good job. He said, no, I want to be involved. Paul wished to impart some spiritual gift to the believers. And to deeply establish their faith in Christ. What an indictment against us. How many of us are so full of the gospel that we are aching to share it with others? Paul wished to be encouraged together. It wasn't just the benefit, what I have to give to you. But it was the fellowship of those brothers and sisters. How they were experiencing God's grace. And he wanted to be a part of it. Paul wished to encourage together. Paul wished to bear fruit among them. Both to the converts, to those and, and that were, were converted to Christ. He saw that physical fruit. He saw the fruit of righteousness in Romans chapter 6. 
And we're reminded in Galatians as he teaches the church of Galatia the fruits of the Spirit. So it wasn't just the fruits of growth, but it was the fruits of maturity in relationship to who God is. The gospel stirred Paul with a deep sense of indebtedness and readiness to reach all men. He was a debtor. It means to owe. In verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. It means to owe, to be obligated, to be bound by duty. To be bound, to be debtor. Because Christ had done so much for him. Because Christ had called him to preach. Have we ignored the gospel? Have we ignored God's word? Have we forgotten the grace that has been shown to us? Paul never forgot the salvation that was given to him because of Christ. To him, there was no other gospel. There was no other truth. His indebtedness was deeply felt by Paul. Paul sensed a deep indebtedness to share the glorious news of the salvation with the whole world. In Romans 1, verses 14 through 15, we see, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He was ready He saw the urgency. He was willing to preach the gospel as much as is in me is. Paul wanted to take all that was in him and pour it into people. All the energy, all the effort. He wanted them to understand what Christ had done. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. He understood his calling. He understood his purpose. I'm a debtor. I am ready. And I am not ashamed. And again, the the conviction. Are we ashamed? Are we ashamed as pastors? Are we ashamed of our responsibility? If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1. Verse 17 through 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We again have the replacement And please understand, Paul did not replace the gospel. But there's the warning here. How easily we can put other things in place. Man's wisdom in place. Of the truth of God's word. Man's wisdom in place. Of what Christ has done. And verse 18 of chapter 1. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. Now, some take this as not a responsibility to study the Word of God, but we're just supposed to allow the Spirit of God to come upon us. It was not the influence of culture. It was not the influence of study. Paul, in his his training before he became a Christian, knew the stumbling block aspect of the Jews. He understood the culture. He knew the philosophy of the Greeks. He had battled through those things. But who Christ is and what he had done on the cross changed this man's life. Please understand. I wish I knew as much as some of you in this room. Knowledge is important. Presenting a message is important. Making sure that our our congregations understand, grasp who Christ is and the importance of salvation is so important. But Paul understood it wasn't the influence of society. It wasn't the philosophy of man. It wasn't even how he presented it as far as being a great orator. So many get so trapped, so distracted by trying to present a flow, a program, an idea And they miss the point. They follow the wisdom of this world. They have a desire to please men. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. If you look at the the second great awakening, and again, doctrinally, there are so many challenges and issues. And and, and again, there was so much influence of humanism in in different aspects, especially in the Western forefront. and, And eventually had impacted my area as far as denominations and ideas. But you can see that the French culture and so many things that were happening during that time was questioning the existence of God. And it was so easy for religious people to just stand and say, this is the Bible. There were people that were seeking membership in church but not committed to the gospel. There were preachers who did not believe the gospel. If you read of the political views of the time, you would think that you were reading of them today. Our nation is not that old in the reality of the world history. We haven't come that far. The same battle is still the same. The corruption of education, the idea of the wisdom of man is still the same. 
If we do not come back to the word of God. And yes, even the foolishness of preaching. Paul is challenging this church. They were divided. And some wanted this and some wanted that. They, were, they saw the influence of the world. They saw these men coming in with, with the, they sounded good. And again, this isn't, Paul is not an uneducated man. But he realized this is the point. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto Jews a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks foolishness. How many times have you heard someone say the Bible is foolish. Education knows better. But unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of, this, of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for this testimony. We thank you for the work of salvation that only Christ could do, Lord. And we're reminded that we come humbly before a righteous and holy God who has provided a sacrifice, has provided good news, the gospel for us, Lord. We pray as men who are called to minister that we would preach the truth, Lord, that we'd be faithful in season and out. We pray for those that are reaping the harvest, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would bless them. Pray for those that are still casting the seed, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen them this weekend, Lord, this week. That you encourage them to be faithful to the word. And we're thankful for your power, for your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.